0: This is All the Cool Parts number 5 for April 2nd, 2010. Hey everybody, and welcome to All The Cool Parts number 5. I'm your host, Anthony Joseph Landman. This week, we're looking at the 2008 release, Go Crystal Tears, which features music by Renaissance composer John Dowland, as well as some of his contemporaries. This CD is a collaborative effort between lutenist Julian Bear, the vial consort Concerto di Viole, and the incomparable German countertenor Andreas Scholl. Lots to talk about on this disc. Let's start with countertenor Andreas Scholl. Scholl was born in the Weissbaden region of Germany in 1967 to a musical family and sung from an early age. As a boy, he sang in various choirs and solo in such pieces as Bach's St. John Passion and Mozart's The Magic Flute. When his voice broke at age 13, he just kind of went on singing in the same range as he had before. Uh, Scholl says that he was never comfortable in the tenor or baritone range, and his range has always suited him. So he's essentially been singing in the same range since he was a boy, which is, of course, highly unusual. However, I have to take him at his word. Unlike many countertenors that I've heard in the past, uh, who often sound forced and or artificial, uh, Scholl sounds completely natural and totally at ease. Scholl's high range naturally lended his voice to the performance of older music, namely music written between the late 16th century, as in the music on this disc, and the beginning of the 19th century. So why is this? Well, we can't really talk about countertenors without first talking about castrati. So, what is castrati, and why does it sound like it comes from the word castrate? Well, because it does. Uh, This is a topic I thought I would talk about because it's something very important to the history of classical vocal music, and something that had very far-reaching impacts, uh, not just musically, but socially and morally. And curiously, it's something that has all but disappeared from general knowledge. I think I'll start this with a little dramatization. The setting, Italy, St. Peter's Basilica, Rome, 1540. Brother Giuseppe, I have a complaint about our choir. Okay, Bartolomeo, what is it? Brother Giuseppe, Why do we have to use the boys uh, to sing the soprano and alto parts? Well, Bartolomeo, you know that we cannot have a woman making a noise in the church. Okay, Giuseppe, okay. It's just that the boys uh, sound so weak. We need a stronger voice uh, for the glory of God. Okay, Bartolomeo, how's this idea? We take one of our choir boys, uh, we cut off his balls and we see what happens. Ah, yes. That's so much better than having a woman make a sound in the church. Thank you, Brother Giuseppe. Don't mention it. Now kiss my (laughs) ring. Oh, man. Okay, so now that I've offended uh, all Catholics and Italians everywhere... uh, (laughs) As disturbing as that picture is, uh, aside from the voice acting, this is essentially what happened. Uh, Around the mid-16th century, young choir boys began being castrated uh, to preserve their high voices. Without the testosterone to promote normal development, their vocal cords never changed. Thus was born the castrato, an adult male with the vocal range of a woman. Even more so, the lack of testosterone caused the bones of the limbs and the ribs to grow unusually long. This enabled unsurpassed breath control and power, giving the castrati amazing vocal control and power. At the height of the craze for castrati singers around the 1730s, there were some 4,000 boys being castrated annually, many from poor families hoping to be elevated out of poverty by a potential opera star. During this time, the very best castrati were treated like modern-day rock stars. They commanded the highest fees, were sex symbols, and caused mayhem from crazed fans wherever they went. Uh, If you want to uh, learn more about this whole phenomenon, I highly recommend watching the 1994 film Farinelli, that's F-A-R-I-N-E-L-L-I, directed by Gerard Corbiau. I know I murdered that name. Uh, it is an account of one of the most famous Castrati in history, Carlo Brosci Farinelli, who was active in the 1720s, 30s, and 40s during the absolute height of the Castrati's reign. Before we dive into the music, I need to introduce you to the principal composer on the disc, John Dowland. Dowland was an English composer and lutenist, born 1563 and died 1626. He was without question the most famous lutenist and composer of lute songs during his lifetime. Dowland was most famous for writing music with a melancholy quality, a uh, melancholy being very much in vogue during Elizabethan England. The very first excerpt we heard was from Dowland's song Go Crystal Tears. This is a song typical of Dowland, full of dark and gloomy affect, here accompanied by the lute with viols. In Dallin's music, the accompaniment was variable. It could be just lute, or lute with various viols, or just viols. The first excerpt is from one of Dallin's more cheerful songs, Now, Oh Now, I Needs Must Part. Although that cheer is often very tongue in cheek, here the song is accompanied by the lute alone. It's also important to mention the text. Dallin wrote all the poetry he set to music, and being a contemporary of William Shakespeare, it's all in the same poetic style. In this excerpt, Scholl sings, Now, oh now, I needs must part, Parting through I absent mourn, Absence can no joy impart, Joy once fled cannot return, While I live, I needs must love, Love lives not when hope is gone, now at last despair doth prove love love divided loveth none sad despair doth drive me hence this despair unkindness sends if that parting be offense it is she which then offends
1: Why I live I need must love. Love lives not when hope is gone. Now at last this bed of room love divine it loveth love. Set this
0: Next is an instrumental work by Dallin's contemporary John Ward. Ward lived from 1571 to 1638 and lived most of his life in London in the service of Sir Henry Farsham. Farshaw? Farshaw. Yep. (laughs) I'm going to roll with the last names today. Uh, Both as an attorney and exchequer and also as a musician and composer on the side, Here we get to hear the wonderful richness of a group of viols, or consort as it was called. Viols were the precursors of the violin family and came in basically the same sizes as modern-day violins, violas, cellos, and basses. However, they were all played vertically, like modern cellos and basses are, had six strings instead of four, were tuned in fourths, like lutes, as opposed to fifths, like modern violins, and had frets like a lute or a modern-day guitar. The sound was more delicate and harmonically complex than modern violins, but they lacked the expression and power of violins, uh, which, with orchestras going uh, growing bigger and louder throughout the ages, the violin family eventually won out and supplanted viols, and viols really disappeared for several hundred years until a... Uh, Early music resurrection began in the mid 20th century. Uh, However, during Dowland's time, these were the major uh, string instruments, the bowed string instruments that were being played. Uh, Here is an excerpt from one of Ward's fantasias for viol consort. So nightly Cares is from Dallin's fourth and last book of songs entitled A Pilgrim's Solace. It is scored specifically for treble and bass viol with lute, as opposed to his earlier books that had a lute accompaniment only that could also be read by viols. Here the text is dourly conveyed on a single low note in the voice. Scholl sings, "Oh, give me time To draw my weary breath Or let me die as I desire death. Next is another fantasia of Ward for vials. Here we can hear heavy imitation throughout all the vials of the simple da-da-da-da-da motive. Uh, This is a common device used in Renaissance vocal music. In Dowland's Sorrow Stay, we hear heavy affecting devices used. On the word pity, as well as on uh, Down I Fall, we hear the music falling ever downward. Then on Down and Arise, the line suddenly rises up again. These are simple musical devices meant to convey the emotional affect of the words. Semper Dowland Semper dolens is a deeply dark piece for solo lute and literally translates to always dowland, always doleful. Again, as in a previous song, Sorrow Stay, Dallin uses the music to convey a feeling of melancholy and hopelessness. Here is purely musical. No words accompany this music. You can hear this in a series of falling figures presented in canon. The next song, Have You Seen the Bright Lily Grow?, is by another contemporary of Dowland, composer Robert Johnson, and not the one that went down to the crossroads. Johnson was born 1583 and died 1634. Johnson actually worked for the Lord Chamberlain's Men, later known as the King's Men. This is the theater company that William Shakespeare belonged to, and uh, Johnson's the only composer known to have composed original settings of Shakespeare's lyrics for the purposes of being used in Shakespeare's plays, or the original staging of those plays. Like many of Dallin's contemporaries, Johnson was mostly interested in the clear delivery of the words and their emotional affect. The words to the song actually come from Ben Johnson's comedy The Devil is an Ass, (laughs) written in 1616. Robert does a great job conveying these very tongue-in-cheek lyrics, which are have you seen but a bright lily grow before rude hands have touched it have you marked but the fall of snow before the soil hath smutched it have you felt the wool of beaver or swans down ever or have smelt o oh, the bud o the briar or the nard in the fire or have tasted the bag of the bee o oh, so white o oh, so soft oh so sweet is she
1: oh. E
0: Next up, we have a galliard for solo lute, titled The Lady Rich, Her Galliard. Uh, This is by John Dowland. A galliard was a popular dance during the Renaissance period, and also a favorite of Queen Elizabeth. The title refers to the patron that commissioned the piece from Dowland. Titles like this were common at the time, and the higher the person's rank in society, the longer the title was. The titles ranged from well-off merchants, such as Giles Hobby's Galliard, to Lords, the Right Honorable Robert Earl of Essex, his Galliard, to Kings, the Most High and Mighty Christianus IV, King of Denmark, his Galliard. In keeping to Dowland's nature, he even took this merry dance and wrote a melancholy Galliard. Here is the Lady Rich, her Galliard. Thank mm-hmm. you. William Byrd's Through Amaryllis Dance in Green. We'll hear an accompaniment of viols, but here Byrd has the viols all playing pizzicato. This is where, instead of bowing like they would normally do, they're plucking the strings with their fingers. The resulting sound is like some hugely deep and resonant harp. William Byrd, who's uh, yet another contemporary of John Dowland, a little bit older... Uh, is one of the most important composers of the entire renaissance his output was great and extremely varied I could do a whole show on birds, so in order to stay on track and not have the show be like two hours long I'll put a link to his info in the show notes uh, but for now we'll listen to his Through Amar- Amaryllis Dance in Green
1: looks so right bright is such delight that i in vain I love to like and lose my game for what that thanks me not if I hey, hope you love no more Hey, hope you love no more she loves no more, no more. No, 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 no. Hey, won't you love no more? No. Hey, will
0: In John Bennett's Venus's Birds Whose Mournful Tunes, we hear a device that grew in popularity over the next hundred or so years, that of mimicking real-life sounds in music. Here, Bennett mimics bird song by first having the singer whistle, which was highly unusual for the time, and then sing on Lie, Lie, Lie. This device can be heard 100 years later in Vivaldi's Four Seasons, where, among other sounds, he mimics birdsong in spring and chattering teeth in winter. In another example of mimicking real-life sounds, Robert Johnson mimics the sound of softly struck bells, or maybe distant bells, in his Full Fathom Five, a setting from Shakespeare's The Tempest. The next excerpt comes from one of John Dowland's fancies. A fancy, or at other times called fantasy or fantasia, was a freeform piece, usually for a solo instrument and usually virtuosic. These pieces gave birth to the mighty fantasias of Johann Sebastian Bach 100 plus years later, and even to the piano sonatas of Beethoven 200 years later. Dallin expresses his philosophical, pensive, and introspective side in Time Stands Still from his third book of songs, and he does get a real sense of stillness and timelessness in this song. Alfonso Farabasco, another contemporary composer of Dowland, was known not only for his compositions, but also for his performing ability on the viol. Like Dowland, he was equally adept as a performer. When you listen to Dowland's lute music, you can really tell that this music was written by a lutenist. It just sounds so natural for the instrument. The same is true of this four-note pavan of Farabasco. The sound of this vile consort just sounds naturally organic, like the lines are living, growing things instead of written by a person. From Silent Night comes from the same set of songs as Go Nightly Cares from Dallin's last book of songs, and carries the interesting dedication to my loving countryman Mr. John Forster, the Younger, Merchant of Dublin in Ireland. This, like Go Nightly Cares, is an example of one of Dallin's later through-composed songs. The earlier songs of Dallin tended to be strophic in nature, meaning that he would repeat the same music with every new section of poetry. At the end of his life, Dallin wrote songs that would have continually varying and developing music to better reflect the affectation of the piece. ¶¶ And finally, I'll leave you with one of Dallin's most beautiful and famous songs, his Come Heavy Sleep. Hey everybody, welcome to our first edition on this fifth podcast of All the Cool Parts, uh, our very first All the Cool Parts Idol. Uh, We finally got our first submission, and it's a great one. This comes to us from composer uh, Jessica Rugani, a native of San Francisco, California. Jessica has written for a wide variety of ensembles, worked with musicians from the San Francisco Symphony and the Kronos Quartet, and studied composition with Katie i goss i probably just murdered that name totally um rafael hernandez and kurt Rode. she currently lives in boston with her husband and is attending the new england conservatory of music jessica submitted her piece nymph shadow for flute and bowed piano so you're probably like what the hell is bowed piano um (laughs) this is a very recent phenomenon uh, and is worth an explanation Uh, Boat piano comes from the tradition of the prepared piano of composer John Cage, who lived from 1912 to 1992. Cage invented a unique way of playing the piano by inserting objects onto and into the piano strings, altering their sound. The result was something like a gamelan orchestra. That was from John Cage's 5th Sonata for Prepared Piano from around 1950. And yeah, that was all piano. Um, Acoustic, regular piano. No electronics there. Um, The bowed piano does employ prepared piano techniques, such as inserting objects into the strings to alter the sound. In addition to this, bows are actually made of strings of heavily rosined fishing line and strung underneath the individual piano strings, The bows are pulled back and forth to actually bow the piano strings. Uh, I'll put more information on bowed piano in the show notes if you're interested in finding out more about it. In the first excerpt from Nymph Shadow, we hear the bowed piano opening the piece. It's appropriate to have this piece on the show, I think, because the bowed piano almost has a viol-like quality to it. The flute plays dancing lines over this bowed, drone-like chord. In the final excerpt from the piece, we hear a very cool effect produced by the bowed piano. This sound is made by one person bowing the string, while another runs their finger lightly along it, producing this shimmering collection of rising and falling harmonics. This is followed by a solo cadenza for the flute. The piece ends with a beautiful melancholy melody in the flute over bowed piano with plucked piano strings. Hey, performers, performing ensembles, and composers, All the Cool Parts podcast wants your music for All the Cool Parts Idol. If you're an emerging artist with a good quality recording, and you'd like All the Cool Parts podcast to share it with the world, please email sound files and other details to allthecoolparts at gmail.com. Help me share your music with the world. And that is it. For All the Cool Parts, number five, if you'd like to email us, you can do so at allthecoolparts@gmail.com, at gmail.com, and I encourage you guys to do that. Um, and let me read some of your emails on the show. Uh, if you want to read the show notes, it is at allthecoolparts.blogspot.com. I am at anthonyjosephlandman.com. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash Anthony Landman, and you can add me on Facebook, and, uh, you know, tons of ways to get to know me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so uh, we'll see you next week for another episode of All the Cool Parts, and I'm going to have you guys go out on John Dallin's song, Oh Death, Rock Me Asleep. See you next time. Go Nightly Cares is from Dallin's fourth and last book of songs entitled A Pilgrim's Solace. It is scored specifically for treble and vase bass vase?
2: Yeah.